Yes, Gavin Newsom, as much as it pains me to say, Gavin Newsom won the recall effort in the state of California. He's still the governor of the state of California. And this is a shame, right? I tried not to get my hopes up in the lead up to this election. I really tried to stay emotionally distant from it, but that doesn't work because I love California and I'm passionate about California. And I think Gavin Newsom is an absolute tyrant. So it didn't work not getting my hopes up because I am emotionally involved in this. And so, yes, I was very disappointed that Gavin Newsom, uh, that he basically won the recall effort, that the people of California did not recall him and that Larry Elder is not the governor of California. And the natural question, of course, is why? Why did Newsom win? Why did Larry Elder lose? What happened? What went wrong? And I've spent the past day thinking about this, as I think we often do. I mean, Monday morning quarterbacking is the easiest thing to do, right, when you have a loss. But um, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I think sometimes you just lose. And there's a variety of reasons why that happens. And it's not necessarily one critical error. It's not necessarily one reason why Newsom won. So my analysis here is not necessarily, I'm not poly positive about this, and I'm not Debbie Downer about this either. There are some practical reasons that what happened in California happened in California. And it is important to understand what these reasons are so that we can do our best to prevent them from happening again. And so here's what I would say. I would say, looking at the state of California, looking at the fact that this recall effort has now been ongoing for more than a year, one of my primary questions is, where was the National Republican Party? Where was the GOP? Where was Ronna Romney McDaniels, who's the chair of the RNC? Where was the Republican Party? Because if you notice in the state of California, and this was very obvious to us even during the presidential election in 2016 and in 2020, The RNC and the National Republican Party have essentially written off the state of California. They say, nope, it's it's a blue state. It's too leftist. We're not going to waste a dime of money. And, And this is their philosophy from the top of the ticket all the way to the bottom of the ticket. There are districts in the state of California that are pretty red, that will elect Republicans to the House of Representatives, possibly, possibly even the Senate. I know that's a push. But the Republican Party doesn't like to spend money in the state of California. And so that is, of course, a factor. Because if you looked at the amount of money that was spent on these campaigns, the Elder campaign or the Recall Newsom, one and the same, versus Newsom's campaign in the last couple of weeks, I mean, Newsom spent four, five times the amount of money just in the space of a couple of weeks that Elder and the rest of the Republican candidates spent all together. I mean, something in the tune of like $36 million dollars over the course of just a couple of weeks, insane amounts of money coming from Newsom's side. And the Republican candidates couldn't match that. And they weren't really bolstered by um, by national Republican money, if you will. And that does make a difference. Money, of course, makes a difference in an election. So that's my first, that's my first observation about the election. And my second observation is perhaps my most positive observation. And all of these won't be positive, so listen very closely. My most positive observation is that Newsom, when he was running for governor, he won overwhelmingly in 2018. Overwhelmingly. It wasn't even close. So I hate to be the person, I actually never will be the person to say, oh, we won even though we lost. No, we lost and that's that, we lost. But just the fact that the recall Newsom effort was able to get 2.1 million signatures to actually cause this recall to happen The fact that this movement was able to cobble together people from not just within the Republican Party, who obviously didn't like Newsom, but independents and Democrats and liberals, Newsom voters from 2018 voted to recall this man. 
The fact that we were able to cobble together that coalition um, in the face of how, what a huge margin Newsom won by in 2018, that, that is a success, that is a victory, and it shows you one very important thing. It shows you that this movement in California, this rejection of radical leftist ideology, even if it is currently the minority, and let's be honest, it is, it is not going away. More in just a second, but first, I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, so the, the question of the day then is how Newsom won and what it means going forward, what it means for California, what it means for California citizens, what it means for the politics in California, what it means for Americans in general, what it means for our country as a whole. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Nutrafol. If you are a viewer of this show, if you are male, and if you are bald, then I'm talking to you. Yes, you. You don't have to look the way that you look if you are unhappy with the status of your hair. There is a solution, and it's different than other hair growth products because this solution is natural. It's holistic. It's recommended by 1,500 top doctors across the country. It does not do anything to harm your sex drive, and I know that's the chief complaint with a lot of these hair growth products. Nutrafol is different because Nutrafol is natural. You don't have to worry about the side effects that really defeat the purpose of having hair to begin with, right? In fact, you can grow thicker, healthier hair and you can also support our show at the same time by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code LIZ. If you enter that promo code LIZ, this is very important, you will save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. If you use the promo code LIZ, you will be able to grow thicker, healthier hair, clinically proven, you deserve it. It's worth it. Do it for yourself. Nutrafol.com promo code Liz. Okay, so what does Newsom's victory over the recall effort in the state of California mean for California citizens and California politics? And this, this is where the bad news comes in, of course. What you can expect if you live in the state of California or if you are an observer of the state of California, you can expect much more radical leftist politics, much more radical leftist policies, because now Newsom feels that he has um, that he has a mandate, and I hate when politicians use this phrase, that he has a mandate to be a tyrant, to be the tyrant that he has been for the past, what, three years now? And I mean this in, in two ways. So first of all, last week I, we talked about on the show, I talked about on the show how Newsom himself has been advising this cadre of Democrat politicians in Sacramento, in the state capitol in California. He's been advising them kind of behind closed doors. They're trying to be as secretive as possible about a bill that will essentially be a vaccination, a COVID-19 vaccination mandate for the entire state. So we're not talking about San Francisco vax mandate. We're not talking about New York City vax mandate. We're talking about the entire state of California. In order to participate in society, if you live in California, this is what the Democrats want to do. They want to force you to get this jab. And Newsom has been advising these Democrats, but the Democrat who actually is writing, who the sponsor of this bill has admitted, and this was before the recall effort, she said, we may not introduce this until after the recall. We may wait until January when the state when the state assembly reconvenes. And at the time, you know, when we talked about this last week, I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. If this is actually an emergency, you would want to issue that mandate immediately if this is actually about saving lives. But of course, it isn't actually about saving lives. It's all political. Otherwise, they wouldn't have used a political calculus in considering when to introduce this. They would have just introduced it as soon as possible if it was lives that they were interested in saving, but they're not. This is not just 
the Democrats in Sacramento and the Assembly or the State Senate. This is, Gavin Newsom is an integral part of this, an integral part of this. So unfortunately, we can expect to see more radical leftist ideology being forced on citizens of California. Gavin Newsom himself admitted this last, uh, when he, after he won, when he gave his victory speech, after which, by the way, he took no questions. The peons of California, the subjects of California, they get no questions to their tyrant. They just have to listen, the silly subjects. This is what he said. Newsom said, no is not the only thing that was expressed tonight. This is right after, right after he won. He said, I want to focus on what we said yes to as a state. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to people's right to vote without fear of fake fraud or voter suppression. We said yes to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body and her fate and her future. End quote. So he admits himself that you will see much more radical leftist ideology. And that's the bad news. I don't know if you noticed, there's also a huge contradiction in what he said. When he said, we're saying yes to women's rights. What, what was his exact word? Yes to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body. At the same time, the dude supports a vaccine mandate. I mean, if only hypocrisy mattered to those on the left, if only it wasn't the word that they live by. But yes, we're going to see vaccine mandates and it's going to be a different situation in... California than it even is in New York because the legislature is going to be involved. So it might not even be a dictate from a public health official, a local public health official, or from uh, a city or from the government or from the governor. It, it's going to be legislation. So stay tuned for that. The second aspect of this is when Newsom says that he interprets his victory as a yes to science and a yes to vaccine and a yes to COVID measures. Make no mistake, COVID must continue. COVID must continue. This COVID crisis, as the Democrats term it, must continue, or they must continue it, because this crisis is necessary for electioneering. And what do I mean by electioneering? I mean the 20 million ballots, mail-in ballots, that Newsom sent to every registered voter in the state of California, and many people who weren't registered in the state of California, people who had moved away, people who were not residents anymore, people who were ineligible. Newsom decided unilaterally to send out those ballots. And the reason, his justification for doing so was COVID-19. Now, this is what we saw in the summer leading up to 2020, right? The presidential election. We saw Democrats claiming that it was gonna be a super spreader event if everybody went to the polls, that it was gonna be the perfect opportunity for every person in America to contract the COVID-19 virus. Now, we also knew simultaneously, and Wisconsin was the case study here, that elections, especially when they're spacing and cleaning and all kinds of other interventions that it wasn't, even in the height of the pandemic last spring, in May, Wisconsin was not a super spreader event. In fact, there really wasn't any measurable transmission of COVID-19 based on people going and voting in person. The Democrats ignored that last summer, of course, and instead used COVID-19 as the reason, the justification for obliterating our laws. In many cases, illegally obliterating our laws. I'm talking about people who have no authority to do this, public health officials, governors, ignoring the state legislatures and changing election rules in the states. We're talking about mail-in ballots without being requested, so not absentee ballots. We're talking about voting deadlines for ballots. We're talking about all night long drop boxes. We're talking about all kinds of rules that were changed that advantaged the Democrats in the 2020 election. We're all familiar with this. 
But this is why we can be sure that yes, the state of California will be the one leading this, but it will happen all over the country as well. COVID will be continued by the Democrats. We will be told it is an ongoing deepening crisis at least through 2022 because the Democrats need that to justify electioneering, which helps them win elections. Mark my words, we will see this because the 2022 elections are very important, the federal elections. In Congress, Republicans need just one seat to claim the Senate and five seats to control the House of Representatives. This is very close no matter when this election would occur, but specifically because it's the first midterm election of the first term of an incumbent president, the history shows that the Democrats, who are the party in the majority, of course, have a very high likelihood of not only losing, but losing by a lot. The fact is, since World War II, the party of the president loses an average of 25 seats in the House of Representatives in that president's first midterm election. This is what the Democrats are facing. And so they will use whatever means necessary they believe will help them either not lose as many seats or even maintain a hold on either the House or the Senate in the midterm elections. So you can expect that from Gavin Newsom. And that's certainly, that's certainly what he meant in that statement. So another observation I have is, is more of my personal observation. I lived in California for almost a decade. I love California. It's paradise. The reason so many people live in the state of California is not because of the liberal policies. It's despite the liberal policies. And the reason that people are willing to put up with the liberal policies, at least to a certain extent, is because California is a wonderful place to live. Because of the weather, because of the opportunity, because of everything innovating from, you know, the top of California, Northern California, Silicon Valley to Los Angeles, you know, Hollywood, the entertainment industry to Southern California with its beaches and paradise. I mean, California is wonderful. It's a wonderful environment. And furthermore, California, the golden state, used to represent the, the American dream. What it meant to be an entrepreneur, to pursue your, to, to, to pursue your business dreams, to pursue your career in Hollywood, to pursue basically that intangible big break that people think of when they think of the United States of America, whether it's a business, like I said, in Silicon Valley, whether it's an acting career in Los Angeles, whether it's, you know, the beach life, the surfer life in San Diego, California used to represent the American dream. And part of the American dream is freedom, it's liberty, and it's the opportunity to innovate and start your own business. And California's losing sight of what made them the golden state. And so Yes, right now it's in this flux where the people of California might be willing to put up with liberal policies um, because the advantage of living in California outweighs the liberal policies, but that's not a scale that's going to stay balanced like that forever. And so I, I always encourage the people who leave California, I understand why you leave California when the taxes are impossible, when the public schools are indoctrinated in your children. I get that. But we as conservatives should not abandon California. We should not abandon the fight for California. Remember the history of swing states in our country. Politics, and when I mean politics, I'm talking about the principles um, that guide voters at the ballot box are not always settled. Remember, there are always voters who change their minds. Parties and politics aren't necessarily always settled. And California, even though we just lost, conservatives just lost, and Gavin Newsom just won, this recall effort actually proves what I just said, because there are many voters in California who voted for Newsom because they liked his liberal policies. And then when the liberal policies negatively impacted them, they changed their minds. 
and they voted to recall him. They voted for, they voted for Larry Elder. This shows that voters can change their minds and they will change their minds if we, as a movement, and when I say as a movement, we are communicators of a, our constitutional republic values, of the principles that make our nation the freest and the most just nation on the face of the earth. We are the communicators. And if we communicate to people, to voters, in a way that impacts them, that they feel in their personal lives, they are open to changing their mind. I mean, and the proof of this is in the pudding. California, when I, when I call California a swing state, I'm not calling it a current swing state. I'm just saying don't abandon the idea that it can be a swing state. Because remember, the Republican president, the most admired Republican president in the history of our country came from California 30, 40 years ago. California used to be red. It's only been within the last two, two and a half decades that California has turned blue. I mean, and, and we see the opposite, or I guess the same sort of thing happening in other, in other states, which are thought to be liberal strongholds or Democrat strongholds. I mean, look at Texas. There's a threat that Texas might turn blue. Who would have thought that that was possible 10, 15 years ago? Yes, voting demographics change, and that changes the mind of a state. But there are voters specifically who will change their minds based on how the policies impact them personally and their families. And that's a good thing. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. We shouldn't abandon um, California at all. We should continue to fight for California because even though we lost this time, it doesn't mean that we have to lose every single time. Okay, I want to talk about a, I don't even know how to describe this. It's so shocking. It's so horrifying. It's so disgusting. It's so awful. This thing is happening in public schools, in a specific public school, actually, sadly, in my home state of Ohio. I want to get to that in just a second, but first, I want to talk to you about trust and will. Now, we all know that we need one because we're adults, but most of us, if we are being truthful, put off creating a trust or will because it sounds complex or expensive, or perhaps we don't want to face our own mortality. You pick, you choose, whichever one applies to you. Now, it doesn't have to be this stressful. At trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, it's convenient, and it's secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children or determine who gets your stuff in the event of your death or plan for your future medical care all from the comfort of your own home. And if you're like me, you like the sound of that because hiring a traditional estate attorney uh, not only can cost thousands of dollars, they might not have answers that are customizable to satisfy you. It might be a one-size-fits-all template. But trust and will, compared to that, their documents are designed by estate planning experts, but they're customized for the state you live in for you. And they have live customer support seven days a week. Trustedwills.com is available to answer any questions you might have while setting up your plan. They're a trusted name. Um, it's the right thing to do to protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash Liz and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash Liz. Trustandwill.com slash Liz. Okay, so I'm in the middle of reading yeah, probably the best book that I've read all year. It's the most fascinating book. It's a book about cultural Marxism and not just about cultural Marxism in our country. It actually isn't so much about the current environment of cultural Marxism, but a history of where cultural Marxism came from, how it evolved, and what the strategy that these Marxists are using in order to tear down Western civilization, basically, and impose Marxism, what their strategy is, their point-by-point -point plays. The title of the book, for those interested, and I cannot recommend this highly enough, the title of the book is Takedown, From Communists to Progressives, How the Left Has Sabotaged Family and Marriage. It's written by Paul Kangor, and um, I will post a link of this on Locals for those of you who um, want to go read this. Again, highly recommend, would be interested in your take on this. But this book is is super fabulous, and I've been talking about it. It's taken me a couple of weeks to read it because 
you know, I'm busy with work and with a baby and with family and with life. But that's okay that it's taken me this long to read it because it's so jam-packed with information and insight on almost every aspect of the culture war in our nation that it's mind-boggling. So some of the interesting things that I've read so far is there's a chapter specifically about abortion and specifically about Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger. So we all know, right, that Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist, that she essentially, she insinuated, if not directly called, um, disabled people or black people human weeds. She wanted to use birth control to prevent people from having a lot of children. I mean, she was a nasty person, a nasty woman. But the interesting part, and I actually, to be perfectly truthful with you, I did not know this part of Margaret Sanger's history until I read this book by Paul Kengor. Kengor talks about Margaret Sanger's ties to socialist or Marxist ideology and how Margaret Sanger actually began her crusade. Um, and when I say her crusade, I mean Planned Parenthood was her organization, but the precursor to Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger's original organization was called the American Birth Control League. And the reason she started that yes, was eugenics, but it was also coupled with the idea that Margaret Sanger herself wanted to live a promiscuous lifestyle without suffering the consequences. She was married and she had children, but she was a negligent mother. She left her children for weeks at a time to visit the Soviet socialists. That's right. She went to Soviet Union and hobnobbed with these Marxists. She was unfaithful to her husband and didn't want a child as a result of her sexual promiscuity. And so she you know, she peddled birth control and then it morphed into eugenics. But it's it's really interesting. Paul Kangor is one of the few people who I've read who has made this point that these various founders of poisonous ideology that is pervading our nation, whether it's Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood or whether it's Karl Marx, their ideologies didn't stem from this good faith belief that their ideology was the best for our nation. A lot of times it stemmed from their own desire not to work or their own desire not to be moral. So Margaret Sanger, I just laid out his examples, but he talks about, Kengor talks about Karl Marx too. And now Karl Marx, this idea that he says, oh, communism is collective ownership and, you know, the worker being in charge. And it's basically redistribution of wealth, right? We all know that that communism is just um, basically the people who are willing to work providing for the people who are unwilling to work. It's It's basically subsidizing the lazy at the point of the government's uh, enforcement mechanism here. But Karl Marx himself was lazy. He refused to get a job. He uh, constantly relied off, uh, relied on his partner, Engels. He soaked his parents' uh, fortune to the point that his parents disowned him. He was still unwilling to get a job after that point. And he actually had a child died. This is so tragic. I was shocked when I read this. Karl Marx's refusal to work was so extreme to the extent that when he ran out of money, he moved, he and his family, to such squalor living conditions that his baby died because he was unwilling to work. This is the person, Karl Marx, this is the person, this terrible person who sparked this ideology that people act like is a good thing, that it would help people, that this was a well-thought-out political philosophy. No, it stemmed off of his own laziness, his own um, lack of, of care for his own children and family, his lack of acknowledgement of the dignity of humanity, even that for whom he was responsible. It's awful. So that's the first thing that was simply fascinating about this book. The second part of Ken Gore's book talks about what I have talked about pretty frequently on this show since we launched, and that is the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School uh, being 
basically Marxists in Germany in the 1930s who uh, created critical theory, critical theory being the precursor to critical race theory. And critical theory, as the name suggests, is a theory that says, well, in order to usher in Marxism, we're not going to have a worker-led revolution. They, those Marxists in the 1930s realized it at that point. But since the workers aren't going to uh, stage this revolution, we have to find someone else to stage this revolution. And in order to do that, we have to make the citizenry, the general public, we have to make them um, tear down or not reliant on institutions like the family and like marriage and like religion, these cultural institutions that are, that's the glue essentially to a working society. We have to tear down those institutions and we should do that through relentless criticism. Hence the name critical theory. So the Frankfurt School coined critical theory and it disseminated from there. In the United States, it's turned into critical legal studies and critical race theory. And even as far back as the Frankfurt School, first in Germany, and then they exported their Marxism to Columbia University because even the Marxists um, at the Frankfurt School had to escape the Nazis. They found refuge at Columbia University, unfortunately. Um, and from Columbia University, they devised this plan to indoctrinate students because young people are sponges of information. They knew that in order to change ideology, you first have to change the, the hearts and minds of young people. You have to brainwash them into your ideology. So at Columbia University, they took hold of the teachers' colleges and through universities and then through the teachers' colleges, the teachers they were training, they indoctrinated those, those students in Marxism and had them then deputized to, to, in, to distribute this ideology in public schools across the country. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, this was so hypothetical at the time. This was a grand plan. How could they have ever envisioned that it would happen? And yet what we're seeing in our country right now is literally the manifestation of this plan that they created, you know, 75 or 100 years ago. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if I can find any examples of this coming to fruition because it sounds so familiar. So I did a quick Google search and it literally took me less than 15 minutes to find a handful of examples of exactly what these Frankfurt School Marxists were talking about. So on September 11th, for example, at Washington University in St. Louis, uh, the Young America's Foundation videotaped a student senator who was caught in the act putting American flags in garbage bags. Now, if you're shocked by that statement, American flags and garbage bags, it's worse than that. The American flags were part of YAF's 9-11 memorial project. And what this means, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but they put 2,977 flags, small American flags, in, um, in, in the ground for memorials for the 2,977 individuals who died on September 11th. And yet, the liberal indoctrination, the anti-American indoctrination in our public school system and in the university system is so extreme that a student senator was caught va well, vandalizing, essentially, this memorial, throwing away these flags, putting them in garbage bags, decimating the memorial, and disrespecting our American flag. And this, the student who was caught bagging up these flags, his name was uh, Fidel Alkalani. And when he was confronted about this, he said that he had no remorse whatsoever. And he actually said that the reason he stole the flags was an act of, quote, protest against American imperialism and the 900,000 lives lost as a result of, po of post 9-11 war. Now, when you hear that phraseology, when you hear that rhetoric, when you hear, essentially, it's just the leftist narrative, the anti-American narrative, where did he get these ideas? Well, the public school system. This is what kids are learning, starting at the very 
at a very young age. They're learning that America bad. They're learning the 1619 Project. They're learning, you know, Howard Zinn's revisionist history about America. And by the time they get to college, they're essentially radicalized against our country, against the American flag, against what we have, what we are, what we have been, and what we are yet to do. I mean, this is an example of exactly what the Marxists were talking about, that they indoctrinate the children to the point that they are going to be revolutionaries, anti-American revolutionaries for Marxism. And there's another example, by the way. Bernie Sanders tweeted this week that all natural disasters are a result of the climate crisis, and for goodness sake, aren't we going to do anything about climate change, yada, yada, yada. And 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago even, if, and Bernie Sanders, by the way, was in government at that time, so hilarious. Um, people would have thought that this tweet was so nutty because it is nutty. But the response to this tweet, sure, there were conservatives and realists and some people who were scientific-minded or independent-minded who were calling him the nut that he is. But the vast majority of responses were people applauding Bernie Sanders, thanking him for standing up for climate change and actually agreeing with the nutty things that he said, even though we've always had tornadoes, we've always had hurricanes, we've always had um, earthquakes, we've always had flooding, we've always had drought, we've always had fires, we've always had natural disasters, and the majority of which, by the way, in our country right now, are the result of our behavior. And I'm not talking about our behavior when it comes to carbon, I'm talking about wildfires in California, the result of Gavin Newsom refusing to clean up the brush that actually causes these fires to spread the way that they have been. Or this isn't a negative thing, but the reason that hurricanes are so much more damaging than they used to be aren't because they're stronger, it's because we have built infrastructure in the path of where we know hurricanes are. So it's our innovation and our building that causes more damage. It's not the fact that hurricanes themselves are becoming themselves stronger and therefore more damaging. So the science contradicts this, but the indoctrination against everything that has made American great, America great, the industrial revolution, the free market, capitalism, all of these different things. I mean, fossil fuels are medication. Think about everything that fossil fuels go into. They go into textiles like clothing. They obviously go into cars. They go into medication. They go into surgical instruments. They go into everything that you are touching right now, unless for some reason you are off the grid, and I doubt that you are. Everything that you're touching right now has been touched by a fossil fuel, and that's a good thing because they have enabled us to be as prosperous as we are and to innovate with life saving medication and surgical instruments the way that we have. And if we eliminated fossil fuels, which is what these radical leftist environmentalists want, we'd be fundamentally damaging human lives, not just our prosperity, not just our cushy lifestyle. We'd be fundamentally damaging and putting in danger human lives. And yet the majority of responses on Bernie Sanders' tweet were in favor of what he wants to do because these people have been indoctrinated in the public school system. So like I said, a very quick Google search shows you how successful these how successful these Marxists or this Marxist strategy that was invented or created at the Frankfurt School, brought to Columbia University, then disseminated through the teachers' colleges and universities and public schools, all with this end goal of trying to tear down these institutions in our country. Like I said, the free market institution, our capitalism in general, the family. We're gonna we're gonna get to the family and sex here in just a second because I promised you. Um, I promised you this shocking story about absolutely demonic things that are happening in public schools in Ohio, and we will talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about um, Young Heretics. So my friend Spencer Clavin hosts Young Heretics, and he is dedicated to upholding Western values. He does this through a weekly show 
each weekly show is dedicated to either a book or music or sometimes even movies. And he transcribes the values that were explored in each of these pieces of art or literature to our society now and the impact that this old literature should have on us now because we're not the first generation um, to think about these things. We're not the first country even to deal with these issues. And Spencer draws these parallels so that we can build on the shoulders of giants instead of trying to struggle along. So go to youngheretics.com and subscribe to his show, youngheretics.com. It's a pretty fun community over there. And tell Spencer I said hi and tell him that I sent you. Okay. So we're almost going to get to the absolutely shocking thing happening in Ohio public schools. But first, I, I, we have to give a little bit more, a little bit more history, a little bit more context. So this book, going back to this book that I'm reading by Paul Kangor, um, another chapter is about the Marxists, which the neo-Marxists in the Frankfurt School didn't identify as um, the economic Marxists, like Karl Marx or like Engels did. They identified sort, sort of as. Uh, Freudo-Marxists, if you will, because they realized it wasn't going to be the workers and the economy, the workers in the economy that caused this revolution. They realized they had to tear down these institutions, social institutions, like the family. How do you tear down the family? Well, you attack sex, you attack marriage because they are intricately tied together. And so these Marxists at the Frankfurt School, Wilhelm Reich was one of them, um, they believed that in order to attack the family, and this was necessary, an attack on the family is necessary, it should be done through a sexual revolution and a complete demolition of morals. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it, like I said, it's absolutely shocking that the plan that these Marxists created, we can literally look at the history of our country in the last 50 years and we can identify each exact step that was taken. And unfortunately, so far, it's been successful. So this is what Kengor said. He said, quote, and this is in the book, for Reich, like so many other communist theorists, his ideal world required the rejection of a natural moral law. In his book, The Sexual Revolution, Reich argued that the pleasure life, which for him was the free love life, was incompatible with the moral life. It was, he said, antithetical to nature. He spurned the notion of any divine law or authority, as well as divinely ordained conscience, governing sexual behavior among men and women. End quote. I mean... Does this sound at all familiar? Does this sound like exactly what we're seeing happen? Not just in the 1970s sexual revolution way, which we can talk about that another time because that was clearly key to um, key to ushering Marxism into our country, the free love movement. But if we're talking about degrading morals, degrading sex, removing the idea that there's any kind of morality inherent to sex, this is what we're seeing coupled with what I just talked about, coupled with the indoctrination that's happening in the public school system. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the behavior that's happening in Ohio. There is a public school system in the state of Ohio that has absolutely gone, I, I don't know actually of any other example where that has gone this far in our country. The mayor of this town, Mayor Craig Schubert, has actually issued an ultimatum to the school board telling them they either need to resign or be charged with child pornography. Why? because there was a writing prompt at the high school. The writing prompt was called 642 Things to Write About. And these are an example of the prompts. Are you ready for this? Describe your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs. You have a dream, that's, that's prompt number one. Prompt number two, you have a dream that you've murdered someone. Who is it, how, and why did the murder happen, and what did happen afterwards? Three, write a sex scene you wouldn't show your mom. 
four. Rewrite the sex scene from above into one that you'd let your mom read. The next one is, you've just been caught in bed by a jealous spouse. How will you talk your way out of this? Next, write a sermon for a beloved preacher who's been caught in a sex scandal. Describe a time when you wanted to orgasm but couldn't. 10 euphemisms for sex. Write a letter from the point of view of a drug addict. Drink a beer, write about the taste. Write an X-rated Disney scenario. A room full of people who want to sleep together. The first time you had sex. This, this was given to minors. These were prompts given to children in school. I mean, this is real. This is not exaggerated. This is not hyperbolic. This was a real assignment given to children in a school in Ohio. I, I actually think the mayor's right. Correct. He's correct when he said this is child pornography. This is the act of trying to get children to basically engage in, se- in some kind of sexual activity performatively. This is beyond grotesque. I mean, it's abusive. And what is the goal of this? The goal of this is to remove sex from the family, to remove morality from sex, to re-educate these children on how they think about sex outside of their you know, family, outside of what their parents have taught them, outside of marriage altogether. This is what's happening in our public school system, and it is exactly, exactly what these Marxists called for. They called for the removal of morality from sex They called for no stipulations, no boundaries, no normalcy when it comes to sexual behavior because they knew that the best way to attack the family was to attack marriage, and the best way to attack marriage is to take sex out of context. The other way, of course, to attack the family is by attacking gender in and of itself. And again, a quick Google search. There's an MMA fighter who defeated female competition, and I think it was record time. I don't watch MMA. I don't know the details of the actual fight, but it was a brutal fight the individual who was victorious pretty seriously beat up the woman defeated and the individual who won was born a biological man. This person was a former U.S. Army Special Forces operator, transitioned from man to woman, and of course, put that in quotes, if you will, transitioned in 2010 and now identifies as a woman, fights in women's competitions and beats senseless female competition. It's horrifying. And it's exactly what the Marxists planned. Exactly what they wanted to happen. Attacking marriage through an attack on gender. What better way to to wipe out marriage than to wipe out women? I mean, literally and figuratively. To redefine woman into something that it's not and use a redefined woman to actually wipe out a woman fighter. It's horrifying. And if we, if we talk about this, I mean, also key to the Marxist ideology is censoring, censoring and stifling uh, dissent. We all know this. I mean, all you have to do is read 1984 to see the redefinition of words and not being allowed to uh, even think about things, let alone talk about them if you disagree with the Communist Party ideology. Well, that's happening in this country already. The newly minted governor of the state of New York, the first female governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, she wrote a letter to Facebook specifically asking them to stifle pro-lifers, to censor pro-life, what she calls misinformation about the Texas Heartbeat Act. She doesn't want pro-life dissent. She wants big tech to stop you, to stop me 
from being allowed to dissent with abortion on demand. Now, this specifically impacts her, she claims, because there's been quote-unquote misinformation about New York's Reproductive Health Act. Now, the Reproductive Health Act is a euphemism for abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. This passed in 2016. You remember when, um, when, when the state and the city lit up the New York skyline with pink to celebrate the fact that you can now kill a child up until the moment before he or she is born. Well, Governor Hochul says it's untrue that posts on Facebook say that abortion is allowed up until birth. Governor, that, that is true. That certainly is true. All, all a woman in New York has to do is claim that it's a mental health burden and she's allowed to abort her child up until the moment before birth. Viability and humanity be damned. But because that's so horrific, the governor wants it stifled, which is the Marxist thing to do. And by the way, this is already actually happening. Google just this week has banned live action, banned live action from advertising because pro-abortion activists demanded that it happened. Live action had ads running that promoted the abortion pill reversal. It's basically the, the anti-abortion pill. So if you take um, and if you take an oral abortion pill, there's a, a small amount of time, a window, where if you regret it, you can take a pill that'll reverse it and you can save your child. And this, this abortion pill reversal, according to Live Action, has saved 2,500 children based on Live Action's advertisements. But now Google has banned those ads, even though they're allowing abortion clinics to advertise abortions. So what Kathy Hochul asked Facebook to do, Google is doing to live action because this is the Marxist tradition. The Marxist tradition is to stifle any dissent. And there's, there's one more example that I found when I was looking around. Um, like I said, it took me 15 minutes to find all of these examples that show exactly how the Marxists are attacking our cultural institutions and how the, the, other, the other prong of this attack isn't just on marriage, it's not just on sex. It's also an attack on the family unit. It's an attack on parental rights. And we see this happening. We see actually, you know, there's examples. There's an example in Ohio of um, a set of parents who lost custody of their 17-year-old daughter because they said that she needed to wait until she was 18 if she wanted to undergo a transgender transition. And a judge removed that 17-year-old from her parents. They, she took away custody. The judge took away custody of that girl from her parents because the parents wouldn't allow her to mutilate her body. The same thing happened in Texas with the story of James Younger, a seven-year-old boy who'd been groomed by his mother since age three to be transgender. The father was threatened with losing custody if he didn't allow the seven-year-old child to be chemically castrated um, with, with transgender, transgender hormones and puberty-blocking drugs. So this attack on parental rights we're seeing happening. We're seeing public schools allowing little kids to transi transition genders and not telling parents. And even when parents ask, refusing to give the records, the school records on the kids that are transitioning. And now we see schools, Chicago Public Schools, for example, are actively encouraging little children to be sexually active. This is another tenet of this Marxist, this Marxist attack, not just attacking parental rights, but allowing so-called child sexuality. It's disgusting. It's disturbing. Chicago Public Schools is giving condoms to 10-year-old children. 10-year-olds. They're giving condoms to 10-year-olds. And they claim it's to prevent pregnancy and stop the transmission of STD, but no, no. If you give condoms to 10-year-olds, you are giving them implicit permission, which is the same as encouragement to a 10-year-old, 
to engage in sexual activity. This is how the Marxists do it. I highly recommend this book, Takedown by Paul Kangor. It's absolutely illuminating. You cannot read this book without seeing it unfold in our culture. And the best way to stop the Marxist assault on the United States of America is to understand their strategy, how they're doing it, so that we can stop it before they are successful. We can turn back what they have done and we can take back freedom and liberty and justice and the American ideal. Again, highly recommend it. The other thing that I want to mention is something that isn't, isn't just an attack on the family, but it does tie into this censorship of information. So we talked at the beginning of the show about how Newsom is going to continue his attack on California. This radical leftist ideology is going to become more prevalent because he feels that he has this mandate from voters to continue to take away their freedom and liberty. And how this is, this is part of the COVID strategy at this point. It's necessary for this crisis to continue um, in order for the Democrats to engage in electioneering for 2022. But one of the ways that they engage in this electioneering is they not only lie to the American people about what COVID is, they stifle the truth. They hide from us the actual information. There's a new preprint out from um, Dr. John Ioannidis. He's from Stanford. And he was, by the way, one of the first people, I think it was last March of 2020, who questioned the World Health Organization infection fatality rate from the world, or yeah, from the WHO. And he said, no, it's not three and a half percent. If you look at the Carnival cruise ship, which was the first example of a contained outbreak of COVID-19, he said back then in March of 2020, he said it's actually closer to the seasonal flu. It's less than one percent. Well, he's now done a larger antibody study, seroprevalence study, to find what the actual infection fatality rate of COVID-19 is. And this is what he found. For people between the ages of zero and 19, the survival rate is 99.9973%. For people between the ages of 20 and 29, 99.986. 30 to 39 is 99.969%. 40 to 49, 99.918%. 50 to 59, this is, the first, this is the first age bracket that there's even the slightest incremental reduction in survival rate, and it's still 99.73%. Between the ages of 60 and 69, 99.41%. It is not until over the age of 70 that it drops to 97.6% for non-institutionalized and 94.5% for all above the age of 70. This information is absolutely crucial to whether or not the American people allow tyrants like Newsom to continue to impose their tyranny. If the American people actually knew the truth about the true infection fatality rate, based on their age or other risk factors, they would never in a million years allow this tyranny to happen. And I don't say that hypothetically. I know that because if you look at the flu mortality, this is data from the United States compiled in 2020 before covid because it was based on the 2018-2019 flu season, the flu mortality rate between the ages of 18 and 49, 99.998%. Between the ages of 50 and 64, 99.991%. The, the only real significant difference between COVID fatality rate and flu fatality rate happens above the age of 65, because the flu survival rate is 99.95% over 65. And keep in mind that this is overall, even the, even the COVID survival rate or the COVID mortality rate, the infection fatality rate, um, changes as we have more therapeutics, we know how to treat it, we know what not to do, et cetera, et cetera. But the American people would never for one second tolerate tyranny about the flu, even though people die from the flu. And if they knew the truth that the COVID fatality rate for most age brackets 
is pretty similar to the flu, a little worse, but equitable, I would think, in my best judgment. They would never allow this. And so what do the governing bodies do? What do the public health officials do? What do our politicians do? What does the mainstream media do? The propaganda arm of the Democrats? They exaggerate and they lie and they portray COVID-19 as being different than it actually is. They have to lie. They have to lie or we would never, we would never stand for this. Another example is a fight, I believe, I'm afraid to say, that we're about to have because Dr. Fauci has said that he um, wants a vaccine mandate for air travel. He wants you to have to prove that you're vaccinated before you get on an airplane. And he makes it sound like this is a hotbed, a hotbed of transmission, a super spreader event, but that's actually not true. It's not true. And we, I, I spoke earlier in the week about how a CNN commentator, former Planned Parenthood president, Leanna Wen, actually admitted that a vaccine passport for flying wasn't about safety, that it's pretty safe to fly on planes, but it's actually just about inconveniencing the unvaccinated and coercing them into getting a shot um, if they want to be on a plane. But that's a really important point to focus on. And it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true that in airplanes, They've actually taken steps to mitigate um, the transmission of, of all pathogens, not just COVID-19. It was because of COVID-19. But they have HEPA filters now that capture more than 99% of particles in the air. And that includes, uh, that includes COVID-19. There is, um, there is a scientist, a doctor at the Institute for Medical Virology. He's from um, Goethe University, Frankfurt in Germany. And he says, and I quote, keep in mind, this is a scientist at the Institute of Medical Virology. He says, an airplane cabin is probably one of the most secure conditions that you can be in. And yet, they don't tell you that. The public health officials don't tell you that because they just want to, um, they just want you to believe something different. They want to mislead you in order to exact their tyranny on you. This is what Marxists do, and we must put a stop to it. We must put a stop to it. All right, the great and powerful Jay Hay is cutting me off. He says that is all the time that I have for today because if he doesn't cut me off, I'd probably never stop talking. Well, I appreciate you watching this week. Please subscribe to the show. Uh, download the episodes. Give us a five-star rating, a review. Before we go, I do want to give a shout-out to our Locals VIP of the week. This is S-N-Y-D-L-E-Y 49. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for being part of the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. It's a fabulous community. We talk often. We discuss issues. It's an uncensored completely uncensored platform dedicated to free speech. There are tens of thousands of us who gather on there on a daily basis to discuss what we hold dearest to us in this country. Thank you for joining us. We are always glad to have you. If anybody else wants to join, you're always invited. Please join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. All right, that's all for me today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.